I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Hi and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Jason Kebler and this week's episode is all about mass transit. I was going to try and do a story type episode like we did with the Lunar Rover one a couple weeks ago. Uh, But then I talked to our main guest whose name is Max Diamond and his conversation was so interesting and he's so fascinating that I decided to just run it as is because Uh, I grew up riding on public transit uh, in Washington, D.C. I actually had a blog called whymetrosuckstoday.tumblr.com, which is still up there. Uh, But basically, I rode the subway, the metro, every day and found a new reason to complain about it. And I didn't really understand why things like single tracking happen or why trains crash or why trains don't crash, uh, what holding the doors open is, why that's so bad. And so... I was just on Reddit the other day and I came across an AMA with uh, Max and he said, ask me anything about the New York City subway. And his answers were so detailed and so fascinating that I had to have him come in. And so he came and talked to us about the past, present and future of public transit. Um, It's pretty heavy on the New York City subway because that's where we live. But uh, a lot of the answers are uh, pretty you know, a lot of the answers can apply to different subways and mass transit situations. So Max came in and we talked for almost an hour about the past, present and future of the New York City subway and about mass transit in general. And he'll explain a little bit about who he is. But basically, he goes by the name DJ Hammers on YouTube. And if you check him out on YouTube, you will find the most extensive, I guess is the word I would use, extensive videos of trains coming and going. He's got 1,500 videos and they are all of subway trains arriving and leaving uh, different stations in New York City and a couple other cities as well, but mainly New York City. Um, And basically what he does is he films himself on the subway every single time he rides it or almost every time he rides it. And he looks for special cars basically. So Uh, A recent video is called Special R1-9S and D-Type leaving Euclid Avenue on local track. 
and that is, I guess, a a rare thing to happen on the New York City subway. Um, so basically, what he's looking for is any sort of weirdness because the New York City subway is so big that what happens is when something bad happens or one track needs to be delayed, trains will be rerouted, trains will be pushed onto different tracks, and he gets kind of a thrill out of seeing these weird cars on weird tracks where they don't belong. So I'm going to play the audio from a couple of his uh, videos, and then we're going to jump into the episode. Um, Thank you for listening, and Adrian Jeffries will be back next week with another story. Thank you so much. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. I am Jason Kebler, and I'm here with Brian Merchant. Hey. And Max Diamond. Hi. Max, who are you? Uh, So I am a transportation engineering student at the City College of New York, uh, and I'm also a transit enthusiast uh, who studies uh, how the subway system works, how the trains work, and uh, how people get around every day. Yeah, and you have a fantastic YouTube called DJ Hammers where you just have hundreds and hundreds of videos of trains arriving at various subway stations both here in New York and some from around the world Um, it's amazing to see it's I think as just kind of like a lay person I'm very interested in transit but I am not a rail fan. Is that the correct term? Yeah, one, one of the terms is uh, rail fans or uh, or uh, foamers who you know foam at the mouth when they see a train. <laughs> um, there, there's a couple of different terms, right? Um, but yeah, I've I've been running that YouTube channel since I was around maybe in seventh grade or so, which explains the weird username. Uh, and I, I just, you know, it got popular early enough that I just decided not to change it because of the name recognition. Um, but yeah, I, I film uh, trains and uh, you know various uh, arrivals and departures from different stations, different types of trains, and there's a fairly fairly large market for that sort of thing. Oddly enough, uh, there's a lot of transit fans in New York City, so uh, you know there's a lot of people interested in this kind of thing. Right? Yeah, these videos they look kind of. Um mundane it's, you know if you don't know yeah. what you're looking at necessarily like it's a train just leaving or arriving at the station yeah um, but there's you know a lot of them are labeled rare um, what, what does that mean when it, you have like a rare video I don't usually just film any train arriving or departing um, I like to sort of seek out these unusual reroutes that everyone else gets so confused about like say you're waiting for the F train at 14th Street and then all of a sudden an N train came in, uh, that's something that I would I would love to film because it's unusual, it's, it's odd, it's out of the ordinary. Um, so that's something that I guess would be labeled rare if it were on my channel. And how, how do you know to look for these like occurrences? Are you just 
filming anytime you're at the subway or? Uh, well, sometimes uh, there will be planned service changes and construction that'll be listed online ahead of time. So it's sometimes easy to plan and uh, put yourself in the right place to catch some of these reroutes. Uh, but other times, they just happen randomly. So I like to, whenever I'm traveling around the city, I bring my camera with me. And just in case, if something comes up, um, I'll have it available to take a video. So what what is, like, what's rare about a reroute? What is unusual about it? Why why is that, why is that compelling to see? Um, well... Is that, it a different car? Is it a different kind of train? Or? It, it could be either. It's it, it could be, you know, a certain type of subway car running on a line it doesn't usually run on, or uh, some certain subway line, like an N-train, for example, that runs out to some other section of the subway system that it doesn't usually go to. Um, just things that argue with the subway map, I guess, is the best way to put it. Right. And so what do people, do people respond to those sort of videos the most? Or what are people most interested in seeing on your channel? I see some of these videos have thousands of views. Yeah, definitely. People are definitely more interested in the unusual occurrences and things like old trains, museum trains that sometimes run in the system uh, than just, you know, your regular, you know, normal train on a normal line. Um, I have definitely noticed a, a difference in viewership. Um Right, it's like cl catching a classic car on the road or something. Oh yeah, it's it, it's exactly the same thing. You know, if 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 you saw like a Pagani Zonda in in the middle of Greenpoint, you know, that would definitely be more drawing than you know a Honda Odyssey in the middle of Greenpoint. What's a Pagani Zonda? It's I don't know, just some random supercar. I just you know got off the top of my Derek head. Would know. <laughs> um, so is the MTA pretty amenable to what you're doing? Not the filming. I know you're allowed to mm -hmm. film, but. Uh, you know, they do run these historical cars from time to time. Uh, they do let you know, uh, the people know about service changes. But do they ever do things just for the sake of them being cool? Like, I know a, a few months ago they did, they ran like a hundred year old car for like a day or something. But do oh, they do yeah. stuff like that all the time? Well, uh, the MTA, uh, specifically with the old museum cars, they have a, a fairly large fleet of vintage trains that are maintained by MTA workers who volunteer their time. Uh, and the MTA sees it as a, a public relations opportunity. Um, and they, they, besides just running the trains because they're cool, um, it also garners good press for the MTA. And it's, it's just something nice that, that they can do for the public that doesn't require a huge investment, uh, capital-wise or operations-wise. It doesn't require them to make the system run better. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a new train. What, yeah. for, for context, what are the most common sorts of trains that we see in the subway system? Um, so we have uh, a large fleet of subway cars. It's over 6,000 cars. Um, and it's split up into two sections. There's the A division, uh, which is the number lines, and the B division, which is all the letter lines. Uh, the cars on the letter lines are 10 feet wide, uh, and the ones on the number lines are 9 feet wide. So you'll never see a letter line car on a number line because it'll just break things. Um, so the fleet of subway cars is split uh, by these 9 feet wide cars and the 10 foot wide cars. Um, and then inside of each subdivision of 9 and 10 feet wide cars, there are 
individual car classes like the R32s, which run on the C line, uh, and the R62s, which run on the three line, for example. Um, and yeah. there's there's a wide variety of different types. Uh, some of them look very similar to each other. Um, others are, you know, you could easily tell them apart. Right. Are, are these based on sort of improvements in in the rail technology and, and like a product of when they were built, when the line was built? Like, why aren't they all standardized? Um, so the original subway that was built in 1904 is it's now part of the 456 and the 123 and the, the 42nd Street shuttle. When it was built, oddly enough, no one had actually really built a subway like that before. And there was a lot of worry by the company that built it that the freight railroads would take it over in case the subway failed. So they on purposely built their tunnels really narrow so the normal normal sized railroad cars wouldn't fit. So we're still stuck with these narrow tunnels. Too small to fail? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's that yeah. And what's happened is because of this this decision in 1904, we still have these two separate systems and we're required to have these two uh, fleets, basically. Yeah, and that's caused a lot of trouble in a lot of different ways, hasn't it? Because obviously the cars aren't interchangeable. And also, does this have anything to do with uh, the very good Atlantic article I read uh, just last week about why we don't have countdown timers in certain uh, stations? Because essentially there's two different subways that end up playing well together once you transfer like your human mm -hmm. onto another car, but they don't play well together in terms of like the cars going onto different tracks and that sort of thing. Something that's important to know is that even though we have these separate nine and ten foot wide fleets, the underlying mechanicals and electricals in both of those types of cars is the same. Uh, in fact, you could couple theoretically you could couple a nine foot wide number line car to a 10 foot wide letter line car uh, if both of those cars are of a certain fleet type and you could run them together technically. Um, in terms of the signaling between the two systems, between the A division and the B division, uh, there are some slight differences. Um, and the reason why we don't have countdown clocks on, on the letter lines is we still, even though it's 2015, we still have these internal subdivisions at the MTA that date back to the original companies that ran the subway, and we had three original companies. Um, so when they decided to phase in this new technology, the decision was made to phase it in on the A division first, and then do the B division. Um, so there really isn't a, a, a bottleneck technologically, per se, in bringing it to the letter lines, it's just the decision was made to put it on the number lines first because that's how the agency is subdivided internally. Right. And I'm going to attempt to paraphrase this Atlantic article um, as best I can. You can correct me yeah. where I get it wrong, maybe. But uh, it's a very good article. It's like 6,000 words, and uh, I'm just going to try to boil it down to a few sentences. But it's the question I think people have most, which is why don't I have countdown like timers to when the next train is coming, say like on the G or various other lines. And basically it's because the cars swap like lines so often and they basically know when a train leaves a station and when it arrives somewhere else, but they don't know where it is in the meantime. And they kind of know based on the signaling that there is a train like yeah. in this section of track, but they don't necessarily know which train it is. Yeah. 
And is is that more or less correct? That's that's more or less correct. Um, the the underlying signal system that is on the subway, except for the L line now, which has a new system, is called block signaling system. Uh, and basically what that does is it splits up uh, a track into different sections. And if a train is on a section of track, uh, to the MTA, it just says this big section of track is occupied. You don't know where on the track it's occupied. You just know that somewhere in this vicinity there is a train. You don't know any other information about what line it is, any issues on the train, who's running the train. If you have a line with multiple trains running on it, say uh, say under 6th Avenue where you have the F and M trains, if you looked at the signal system, you would just see an occupied section of track. You wouldn't be able to tell if it's an F or an M, and you wouldn't be able to tell where on that track it is. So that makes it really difficult to say, oh, there is an F train two minutes away when you have absolutely no information. Um, and that's, that's really the problem here. Um, and the way that it's been solved is on the A division, the number lines, uh, there's an overlay on top of the existing signal system that uses transponders and receivers, uh, and that that gives more granular data to the MTA than just the underlying signal system. So they had to go down and install that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Specifically. Oh yeah. It's extremely so it's, expensive too. If you read right. the Atlantic article, it was it was a ten year job to install the uh, the ATS system, which is the system that provides all the data for the clocks and uh, diagnostic info for the MTA. Uh, it definitely wasn't you know just buying a couple of LED signs and hanging them in stations and flipping them on. Right. You know, it's it's much more complicated than and, that. And like you said, the L-Train also has yeah. uh, has that same system installed. That has a different system, system, right? It like, has, yeah, the L-Train has uh, a slightly different system. That's called CBTC, uh, which stands for Communications-Based Train Control. Um, and in CBTC, they've actually completely replaced the original signal system. So instead of making an overlay on top of the original signals, they've just gutted it all out and put in this new system, which has uh, uh, transponders underneath the train and receivers on the track. And that functions very similar to the ATS system in the sense that it gives the MTA real-time train location and information. Right. So that seems like the ideal standard at this point, right? Like if you could start over from scratch, maybe that's what we would have. Yeah. Uh, and, and the issue is, you know, in 1904, we didn't have computers. We didn't have, you know, computers as we know them. We didn't have any of the technology that made this new signaling uh, technology possible. Back in 1904, the, the original signal system that we have on most of the subway was state of the art. Uh, and we were, uh, you know, on the cutting edge of technology back then, uh, but now we have to catch up. So ideally, we would want to replace the original signal system with a new one, but that requires changing out hundreds and thousands of components and shutting down lines so you could work on it. So it's a very, very significant uh, work project. Right. Can we... Um Talk about the L train for a second. Yeah, I know a lot of people are not happy with the L train. <laughs> it's probably the most discussed uh, train line in the yeah. city, at least in a certain demographic. And for our international 
listeners. The The L train is the line that connects Brooklyn to Manhattan. So basically... One of several. Right. Actually, it runs from Queens, um, uh, Rockaway, which is kind of the far eastern most point uh, that the subway will take you, all the way to 8th Avenue in in Manhattan. Um, As the city has gentrified, as Brooklyn has sort of grown more and more populous and neighborhoods along the L line have... uh, attracted outside residents and development and all sorts of things, it's really kind of created a bit of a bottleneck around a few stops. Uh, the Bedford stop, which is yeah, yeah, which is the stop um, between the last stop between Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, just to share a little color, a little anecdote here. So my wife, who is currently pregnant right now, she will go. She has to take the train uh, to commute to, to to work sometimes. So she'll go down there at like eight thirty during rush hour, and it's so busy that the sort of this de facto system, or this sort of ad hoc system rather, has sort of sprung up where there's like a crowd of people that will sort of you'll get in line basically. There'll be like three layers of line. A train will come. One layer will get on. It's packed. You really kind of have to cram yourself on. But this, it can get so, like, rowdy and and uh, there's such a crush of people that she, that she at one she at one point she was kind of like thrown to the ground and people are just like scr- like scrambling past her. So desperate have people become to get on this train lest they miss work or something, right? Yeah. So it's it's insane. It's basically it what I'm trying to dicey. say. And it's it's interesting because the line itself is one of the shorter subway lines and so when it works and it's not crowded, it's you great. can get from, you know, Brooklyn to the other side of Manhattan in like twelve minutes. And it's yeah. it's very quick and like convenient. It's a newer uh, train when it line. works. It's yeah. newer, it, it's it does clean. have the yeah. it does tell you when the train is coming. It generally seems to work. But yes, as uh, Brooklyn has as Brooklyn's population has exploded in Williamsburg and Bushwick, it seems unsustainable. So I guess the yeah. question is, what do we like? How do we deal with that? Like, how? What can we look at the future? Because it's only getting more and more. I heard this may be through the grapevine. I don't know if it's official or anything, but I heard that there's a new they're discussing or looking at development in Bushwick for a lot of like new office parks, even yeah. things like Tumblr or mm-hmm. yeah, you've heard what, there's yeah by the Domino Sugar Factory. I heard there was going to be some development there. It's it's Vice Media. Always <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, is, is it Vice? Uh, yes. Well, oh. among others. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and and the L line is absolutely mobbed. Uh, I know the Bedford Avenue station had an increase in ridership over just one year of like something on the tune of ten to twenty percent. You know, and the the L line was built in the nineteen twenties, and when it was built, Brooklyn was not as populous in the areas where it is now um the line is only two tracks so there's uh you only have half the capacity compared to a four track express local line um the other issue with having two tracks is if something happens on a train like a breakdown or a a passenger gets sick and starts throwing up is you know now everything is jammed up behind that train there's no way to get around it so when you say two tracks, it's one one way, yeah. one the other. One eastbound, one westbound. Right. And it's it's just like uh, if you were, say, driving in the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, for example, which has uh, 
one lane and you cannot merge out of that lane. If the car in front of you catches on fire, you just have to sit there until the fire department comes, for example. As anyone who's been stuck under the river in the L train for like an hour while they... It can get dire. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, and the issue is the more passengers you have... The heavier the trains are, the more wear and tear there is on the infrastructure. The more passengers you have, the more chances that you'll have that one of them will get sick on the train. Um, so it's it's really the L train is somewhat of a victim of its own success. Um, it had the uh, CBTC signaling installed on it uh, in the beginning of the last decade. And at the very same moment, the ridership just started to skyrocket. Uh, and now that we have this new signal system on it, um, there are other things that can be done to increase the amount of people that could be carried. Um, there's, there was a lot of talk recently about open gangway trains, um, and an open gangway train is a train where instead of having doors between cars, uh, you actually have a flexible passageway. So all that space between each car that's open to the tunnel is now enclosed and you could stand in it. And that's about a 10% increase in the amount of people you could carry. Um, I'm aware that right now the bottleneck on the L in terms of how many trains you could run per hour is actually electricity. The substations that power the L line do not have the capacity to run any more trains than what they're running now. So right now, the MTA is working on power upgrades for the line to add more trains. Interesting. Yeah. So are any of these upgrades imminent? Nothing feels imminent with when you're talking about a massive infrastructure type problem like yeah. the subway. You know, the, the signal upgrades take 10, 15 yeah. years, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, we've been talking about the Second Avenue line oh, for, yeah, for God knows how long. I have no idea. You yeah. certainly do. <laughs> it's it's over 100 years now. <laughs> okay, that, that was longer than I would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's like, you know, how would they go about upgrading the power? And that's not something that's going to happen in the next six months. It's something that's yeah, going to take is, years. It is, it, it is in the capital plan in the sense that funding either has been or will be very soon appropriated for doing that um you know but you still need to you still need to install all of this infrastructure in terms of transformers and uh power feeds and whatnot to uh hook up another power source to the l line i guess that's a uh a pretty simplistic way of putting it um but you know it's not like doing a renovation on on your house and adding in another power feed to your house. This is, you're talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of volts and huge amperages. So it's a lot of equipment to install. I think you raise a good point about, you know, having to shut down the tracks. Um, the New York subway is one of the few in the world that insist on never ever shutting down basically. Yeah. And so doing track work, you know, they may shut down the L for like a weekend between yeah. certain stops or certain times at night. But in general, it runs 24-7 all the time. And you wonder whether it may just be better to say, okay, the L is going to be closed for three weeks. We're going to do a massive like renovation on it. Uh, and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We'll have, you know, some new power lines afterwards or something. Oh, yeah. And it would obviously be a huge, you know, inconvenience for those three weeks, but you don't have these, you know, planned track work yeah. for like three hours a night for three years you know yeah so is there talk is, how, how do they go about uh deciding deciding when to do construction i, I and suppose how to do it? yeah um so the mta has recently actually tried to uh sort of change how they're doing maintenance um they've introduced this program called fast track a couple years ago where they did something similar to what you've proposed uh instead of shutting down the line completely for say three weeks uh they'll shut it down every night starting at around 9 or 10 p.m. going on until the early morning and then they just have armies of workers just descend on the line and uh, fix problems and that that does seem to work very well um, the main concern with shutting a line down like that for three weeks is it's very politically difficult to do um, you just get dragged through the through the muck in the press really really badly um, right, the affected neighborhoods. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, the, the L line doesn't have a lot of other subway lines paralleling it. So, right, it's kind of stranded. It's on its yeah, own. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Whenever there's a, whenever there is a service outage, like what do, you know, what I do we do? I just don't go to Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. That that's part of it. And uh, I know that the tube between Manhattan and Brooklyn that goes under the river that the L line uses has. Uh, required a lot of repair work after Sandy, so they've been shutting down that tube uh, uh, pretty frequently to do repairs. Uh, and when they do that, the MTA puts in other measures to help people get around. Like they'll take the M line, which is somewhat parallel to the L train at certain stations, and they'll extend it deeper into Manhattan for the day. So people who otherwise would use the L could take the M and it would be relatively convenient. Right. They do shuttles yeah. and stuff too, right? Yeah, and shuttle buses. buses. Yeah. 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 It, it is really, it is interesting. And I, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about sort of the social effects that the subway has on, on a population. Because the, sub, the subway, when running smoothly, is a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. You can get wherever you want. You know, you can read on the subway. You can chat. You can be drunk on the subway. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But we, but you know, like like any transportation situation, you have too many people in the wrong spot, and like, and you know, it can become very unpleasant, very hostile. Mm -hmm. um, what are you? What so? What what are your thoughts about how you've seen these social environments mediated by by uh, by subway stops, by different trains? Is there like does this run the, the the whole spectrum here? Well, one thing, if if you go to a city that doesn't have a subway system. Uh, say you go to uh, Rochester in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, Rochester, New York. Um, you'll notice development is a lot more spread out. People live farther away from each other. Um, there's, it feels less social, I guess you could say. New York City, as we know it today, would not be possible without the subway because we just wouldn't be able to transport enough people into the city uh, quickly enough to make these skyscrapers and these dense dwellings that we have here possible. Uh, and I think that the fact that we live so close to each other in New York City, which is made possible by the subway, has contributed a lot to how we interact uh, in New York City. 
um, there's definitely um, a definitely a sense of uh, not really being bothered by the behavior of people around you. You know, if you see tourists who ride the subway for the first time, they're really conscious of like. You know, some somebody singing to themselves, but New Yorkers—they're just you know whatever. It's normal. Um, I feel it sort of contributes a little more to a sense of acceptance uh, because you see so many different people on your commute every day that you wouldn't see when you're uh, driving into work, for example. Um, so it definitely does have an effect. Yeah. Yeah. What, what What's the craziest thing you've ever seen on the subway? Craziest thing I've ever yeah. seen. Hmm. That's a really good question because I've seen some really <laughs> crazy things. Um, I've seen someone hold the doors on a subway train for about ten minutes, waiting for their imaginary friend. That that was that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. The guy got on he got on the A train, and he stood in the doorway and he was yelling for Carlos to come down the stairs. He's like, "You're gonna miss the train! You're gonna miss the train!" But Carlos didn't actually exist. And uh, he gave up on Carlos coming into the train about 10 minutes later and sat down and looked kind of unhappy. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. Uh, how about you, Jason? Have you ever seen it? I've seen some weird stuff, but uh, I don't know. Nothing is jumping to mind right now, honestly. I've seen, you know, like fist fights, but I don't ride the subway all that often because I work in Brooklyn, live in Brooklyn, so I ride the, my bike a lot. Yeah. Um, but I am a huge fan of mass transit in general. I, yeah, I, you, I kind of like, you see the, the crazy things and they, they, like, I think you're right. They seem maybe a little less crazy because, yeah. you know, it's, it's just sort of like the effect of having a society crammed together and you have to like you can't just you know look at like laugh at it and click away on youtube or something you have to you know you have to think about it like okay this guy has a reason and my favorite uh subway experience was watching somebody you know like there's very few stations that actually have this but there's one at I think it's Bowery that has an escalator. Yes, yes. That has this really skinny escalator. Yeah. It was fairly, fairly early, like early in the evening still. So a lot of people uh, were still around. It's not the world's most uh, busy subway stop. Yeah, definitely stop. not. No, it's a kind of a vacant one. So I think the guy took advantage of this and he took a shit on the on the escalator at the bottom so he could watch. Did you it, watch it go up. Watch it yeah, go that'll up. That'll nice. happen. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that that is yeah. pretty weird. Right. It's inventive with your weirdness. Yeah. yeah. So I think for all the shit that the New York subway and the MTA get, and I think most people are pie? somewhat okay, are 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 somewhat reasonable in their criticism of it. They do have this absurdly difficult task of keeping all the trains running all the time and upda yeah. updating all this old technology and that sort of thing. So I think we can kind of understand like. How, where they're coming from and you know they have budget shortfalls and yeah. contractor problems and all that sort of thing but what is something that they really kind of like screw up on oh, like yeah. what what do they really need to improve or like where do they really need to get their act together That's a good question. yeah well i'm i mean i'm definitely not an apologist for the mta whatsoever um obviously there's room for improvement everywhere um the the there are a lot of issues at the mta um one of the biggest ones is the incredibly high costs of construction for new projects. It's absolutely asinine that the Second Avenue subway is costing over $1 billion per mile. You know, it's, it's just absurd. 
And the fact of the matter is, I, I understand, you know, it's a very dense neighborhood. Uh, it's a very old neighborhood. You're dancing around uh, other infrastructure. Uh, but still, it's it's just completely unheard of and unprecedented to have the construction costs that we have here in New York City for subway construction. Uh, and that's a really big issue because we really need more subway lines. But, you know, it's just so expensive that it's it's really hard to sell and you know politicians are are usually not very willing to uh build new subway lines i'm calling out de blasio and cuomo because they're both absolutely dysfunctional on this so please get your act together (laughs) um it the problem is it takes longer than uh, a term in office to build a subway line so you're going to be there as a politician for groundbreaking and then everyone's going to complain to you about how you're spending millions upon millions of dollars on this hole in the ground. And then when it's finished 10 years later, the person who's doing the ribbon cutting and shaking everyone's hands is not going to be you. So it's the combination of these high costs um, re- and, the, uh, and just the slow rate of construction is a very serious problem. Right, right. Another problem seems to be the way that the subway is funded in terms of people who live in New York State who don't come to New York City don't want to help fund the New York City subway. Yeah, often. that's that's definitely that's definitely an issue. Um, the the big problem right now in terms of funding is the MTA just isn't getting enough funding. Um, there was between the 1960s and the 1980s there was almost no investment in the subway system whatsoever. Uh, So now we're trying to recover from that, but they're barely giving the MTA enough money to maintain their existing system, let alone repair issues that developed in the last half century and build new subway lines. Um, There was a recent recent article I read uh, that showed... Uh, upstate New York politicians asking for $8 billion in transportation uh, funding for upstate New York. Now, if you did a proportion uh, and said if $8 billion in transportation funding corresponds to the population in upstate New York, that would be $30 billion in New York City. But uh, we barely got above $20 billion for the MTA. So uh, we definitely are being held hostage by upstate New York interests uh, in terms of uh, getting funding for the subway. And, you know, something that's really important to understand is New York City generates a huge amount of tax revenue for New York State. And New York City uh, sends so much of that tax revenue upstate. Uh, it's really not fair to the people in New York City living here Uh to have this money just grabbed from them. Uh, it's really, it, it's a really, really big issue. Right, right. So uh, we've talked pretty in depth about some of its pr- the problems, some of the, you know, reasons why yeah. trains don't work and that sort of thing. I want to do a lightning round type thing because mm-hmm. I have like 10 more questions. And okay. uh, I think most of them are simple, but there are things that people ask me all the time or I yeah. just like talk to people at bars with all the time or, you know, okay. you just like kind of wander, you know, these things come up. Mm-hmm. So is the G train good or bad? The G train is bad. And it's, why? It's, it's very bad. Um, it doesn't run frequently enough. And the trains are way too short. Uh, they're only four cars long, which is uh, 
they're four 75-foot-long cars, so that's half the length of a normal subway train. Uh, it's it's just not reliable, and it's not. It, it should be running more frequently, and it should be running with more uh, cars in each train. Um, the main issue with the G is that it's bottlenecked by the F line uh, because it merges with the F line in Brooklyn. Um, and on the tracks that the F and the G share, there's not enough capacity to add any more trains. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the solutions, uh, and G train riders, this is what you have to advocate for. One of the solutions to improve the frequencies of G service is to send F trains express in Brooklyn. And that would free up tracks in Brooklyn for the G train uh, so they could run uh, more frequent G trains. Right. Uh, open gangways, I've uh, used them, I believe, in Chile, the Santiago Metro. Yeah, I actually there. have as well. Yeah, um, it's a wonder. That it's, system it's is wonderful. wonderful. It never broke. Yeah. But I don't know if I just got lucky for like six straight months or something. But the mm-hmm. trains came all the time and you walked down them all the time. Yeah. Uh, what are the arguments against open gangways? Uh, so I've been following this really, really closely, actually, over the last uh, week or so. Um, if you look at news articles uh, talking about these open gangway cars, a lot of people are complaining, saying that, uh, you know, the one homeless guy in one car will stink up the entire train now because the entire train is open uh, to passengers. Um, and that, that definitely is a valid concern. But uh, at the same time, uh, there are countless uh, subway systems elsewhere in the world, and they all have stinky people, and they all use open gangway trains. And, you know, I have been in situations where there is a very stinky person on a train, and the train has open gangways. Um, and the fact of the matter is, once you get about a car away from the person, you can't, It's the smell right. dissipates. Is terrorism a concern there as well? Like people not not containing a potential attack to like one car or something, mm-hmm. or well, no? <laughs> I mean, that that definitely is a concern, um, and it's a little more complex than what people have been uh, really talking about because we have a lot of cars right now that the specifically the seventy five foot long cars. Uh, and their doors on each end are locked because they're so long when they go around curves, the ends don't line up. So it's really easy to fall between the cars. Um, you know, so it's it definitely a, a, a worthy question to ask uh, whether or not, you know, is it safer to have cars that have locked end doors where no one can escape in, you know, a terrible situation like that? Or is it better to have one car with no doors where you could run away easily? The fact of the matter is there's really no good answer to that you know uh the different designs will lend to uh different you know different issues in that sort of situation right right okay cell phone service when is it coming is it coming oh yeah cell phone service is 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 approaching uh we recently in the last month or so a lot of stations just went online with uh cell service um, it's definitely, no, this is not something that's, you know, being planned and will be implemented like half a decade from now. It's all the technology is being installed right now. It's just a matter of, you know, you need to get the trucks into the city to offload the, uh, the technology and install it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, give it about, give it about maybe two or three more years and we'll have the entire system wired. Right. Wi-Fi why did they bother? <laughs> oh, in turn, why Wi-Fi and cell? Or yeah, just yeah. Cell? I suppose every time I've tried to use the Wi-Fi in any of these stations, it's just been a mess. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. 
The the issue with the Wi-Fi is that it has you go to a landing page uh, when you connect to it. Um, as far as I know, that was just specified as part of the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know that the, the, the antennas for the Wi-Fi are also the antennas for the cellular service. Um, you know, I think that the issue with the Wi-Fi is really less of a, uh, you know, hardware, like, you know, this Wi-Fi is too slow. It's, it's really more of an issue of if they put better software on that would run the Wi-Fi, uh, it wouldn't be an issue. Right, right. So uh, I grew up in D.C. and lived there before here. Uh, I hate the D.C. Metro with a burning passion. Um, yeah. What does, do you know much about the D.C. Metro? I do, I do. Uh, what, do they get anything right? Um, one thing that the D.C. Metro definitely does get right is they run their trains much faster than we do. Um, that like the actual speed. Oh of yeah, the, the top speed of Washington Metro trains is much higher. Um, in New York City, trains will you know usually top out around twenty eight to thirty. You know, top speed in a, in an under river tube is around forty. Uh, in the DC Metro, you could get up to sixty miles an hour or even higher. Um, that boils down to a couple of things. Mostly, the curves on the line are a little bit less sharp, but also they're more permissive of higher speeds there. Um, and that comes with its downsides. There was uh, that horrible crash a few years ago. Yeah, and but. that that there was a, there was a terrible crash. Yeah, in, in two thousand nine, and that that ended up being a result of a uh, fault in their signal system, which is different from ours. Works completely different from New York City's. Um, but we we tested in the nineteen seventies. We tested higher speed trains. And it turned out that our signal system, as it is now, isn't able to handle that. Um, but if adjustments were made to the signal system, it would be able to handle higher speed trains. Yeah. Um, what city has the best subway system in the world? What city? That's a really good question. Um, to be honest, it really is New York City. Um, we have, as a city, so much potential in our subway system. We have express and local lines. We have a really, really far-reaching network. You could get from Far Rockaway, which is really, really far out in Queens, all the way up to uh, Manhattan and the Bronx for 275. Um, it's an amazingly complex system, and we could do so much with it. Uh, a lot of other cities don't have the capabilities to carry as many people as we do, given, you know, how old our system is. Uh, And I think that really sets us apart from even these huge new systems being built out in Asia, like Beijing and uh, in Hong Kong, for example. What is your favorite and least favorite line? Um, So my favorite line, hands down, definitely the J line. mostly because it runs above ground for a significant portion of its length. Um, It runs over a suspension bridge, and it has a lot of cool twists and turns. Uh, When it runs in Manhattan, uh, it's underground in a tunnel, and there's a lot of cool unused infrastructure that you could see around there. Um, Also, it runs uh, pretty old subway cars, which are always fun to ride. Um, My least favorite subway line hands down is the G line. It's it's terrible. Me too. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot stand the G line. Is it because of the short trains or because you never know when it's coming and it varies so wildly? 
uh, it's yeah it's part of it is the trains are too short they always they're always crowded uh and the trains just never they just feel like they never show up um and the stations themselves you could just see there's so little investment in the stations on the g line um it just it needs more attention how do you feel about the new uh the new stop on the end of the seven uh 34th street um i think you know there's no such thing as a as uh an unwanted subway extension you know every time you open up a new subway line or a new stop that you know that spurs more development in the city it means people can get around easier so i definitely approve of that uh that new station i feel that um i feel that it should not be the last stop on the seven um it really, you know, we should really extend the seven line farther, whether it would, you know, whether it would go downtown or uh, even into New Jersey. But um, it's definitely, it was definitely a good idea to build it. Uh, it makes accessing the west side of Manhattan a lot easier. Um, and it's also, uh, it's replacing Times Square as the terminal, uh, which dates back to the 1920s. So now we have this modern, uh, last stop with new facilities that can get trains in and out faster, um, which is always good. Uh, and I guess, are you optimistic about the future of the New York subway? Um, I am relatively optimistic about the future of the subway. Um, it's definitely going to keep running for, uh, I bet, as long as I'm alive. Um, but I think that it's really uh, dependent in terms of the performance of the subway and uh whether or not people are able to get around without constantly being late, that's really dependent on, uh, one, getting funding for the subway that's above the absolutely pitiful amount that they got uh, for the new uh, capital plan. Um, And two, it's really dependent on having politicians that are uh, supportive of mass transit. Uh, You know, there's a difference between just saying, like, you know, I'm a a mayor of the people or a, a councilwoman of... Uh, you know, who's for mass transit, you know, people really need to take action uh, regarding improving the subway, uh, whether that means building new lines, new stations, uh, making trains run more frequently. Um, And that really boils down to uh, actual New York City residents. You know, if you uh, if you're unhappy with your subway line and you don't like the fact, for example, that the G train runs every like hour, you know, you know, if, if you bitch about it on Twitter or on Facebook, that's not really going to do anything. You know, you really have to go to your representatives and you have to organize because that's the only thing that will change uh, change anything, really. Right. And I can't believe I forgot to ask this question. Why is it so bad to hold the doors open? Um, holding the doors open is like a cardinal sin in the subway. Um, that's because it increases dwell time. So dwell time is the amount of time it takes for the doors to open, people to board the train, and then for the doors to close. So if you hold the doors on the train, say, you know, you're, you think you're going to miss it and you run and then, you know, just barely put your hand in the door and then force it open and let yourself on, that not only gets you on the train, which delays the train maybe like a couple seconds, but it also reopens the door so even more people behind you can try and get on the train. And then you end up with this endless cycle of people holding the doors and slamming them open to get on. Um, All the while, there are precious seconds being used up 
uh, where the train is sitting in the station, and that increases the dwell time. So uh, if there's a train behind the train that you just got on, it's now delayed. The train behind it is now delayed, and the train behind that one is now delayed. And then at the station in front of the train that you just got on, there's even more people who just got into the station waiting to get in. So the crowding will only get worse. Um, so you know, if it's if you're in the middle of rush hour, it's really you know, I, I understand you want to get on the train, but it really messes up everything for everyone else a lot more than people realize. Right. So only do it if you have like a really important meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, <laughs> no. if, if, you know, obviously, you know, obviously we're not going to get people to stop holding subway doors, but you know, if, if you don't really have to get anywhere quickly and you're holding the door for your friend who's trying to get through the turnstile, you know, please just don't do that. It really messes things up. Um, you know, and if, if you want more frequent service, the, the best thing to do is not to hold the door because you don't think there's a train behind it. The best thing to do is to campaign with other people who live in your area to improve it. Right. All right. Well, I could talk about this forever, I think, um, and I would love to, but I think we've got to stop. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Um, if people want to learn more about you and see your videos and stuff, where can they find them? Um, so if you go on YouTube and you search uh, DJ Hammers Trains, you could find my YouTube channel. Um, I have everything organized on there, you know, like the rare catches that we talked about at the beginning and the uh, museum trains, for example. So you could kind of see what we were talking about. Uh, on the show here. Um, if also, if you're interested in the subway, sometimes I do uh, AMAs on Reddit in the uh, New York City subreddit. So and I do them maybe every month or so. So definitely look out for those. Um, another good place to learn more about the subway is uh, www.nycsubway.org. Um, you could learn everything about the system there. Uh, it's a web page with incredibly detailed information about different subway lines and different types of subway cars and their history. So definitely, I would suggest checking that out. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, this has been Radio Motherboard. You can find us uh, on iTunes. Hopefully you already have. And if you want to write to us, we are at letters at motherboard.tv. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.